The Economic War Room is brought to you today from CPAC in Dallas, Texas. We've got some of the most brilliant conservative minds in the country right here in my own neighborhood. It's a pleasure to meet with so many great people. And the first up that I'm bringing you today is one you know very well from the Economic War Room. It's Frank Gaffney. He's a dear friend. He's a mentor. He's taught me so much about national security, but also about politics in general. He's one of the first calls I make when I say, hey, Frank, what about this? And we brought you back, and you've got your book, our book, actually, The our CCP book. at War with America. Tell us about what's going on. Well, we're watching, as we speak, um, the manifestations of the war that the Chinese Communist Party has in mind, I think not just for Taiwan, but for the rest of us as well, playing out in real time. Uh, Nancy Pelosi made a visit that became the pretext for them to put into place a blockade of Taiwan. And I think that they will be moving the escalation ladder, as they say, placement up and up and up. We saw in the course of just today, as a matter of fact, uh, ballistic missiles uh, overflying the island. And that, that's a high pucker factor. If, yeah. you're, uh, if you're watching incoming ballistic missiles on a trajectory to take them to your country, you have to be pretty good to make sure that they're high enough and they're not going to be vectored in mid-flight down to attack you. So the Chinese are, I think, not only at war with America, but they're increasingly now prepared to make that a kinetic war. And Kevin, you talk about me teaching you things. I've learned an enormous amount from you too, of course, not least about the unrestricted warfare of China. And so when I say they're now moving into the kinetic phase, that's because they've essentially move through the rest of their playbook. Yeah, it's Take a us scary down. time. It really is. And in fact, Frank, you were the person on the CPAC stage who actually, I think, was first to ever utter the words unrestricted warfare. I watched it and was screaming at the television like, yay, you, you were brought out after having been kicked out of CPAC for a period, you were brought back and you shared that. How can any honest American politician deny that the Chinese Communist Party is at war with us? I think that what we have, Kevin, is not so much people who can deny it on the basis of an honest appraisal, as much as it is that we've got a large cohort of people among our elites, and by that I mean the leadership figures in a whole host of areas, from academia to the media to Hollywood to the business sector, the financial community, our politicians, among others, are essentially compromised. And we've talked about this a lot over the years, um, starting the fish rotting from the head, as they say, with the commander-in-chief himself, Joe Biden. And when you're compromised, one of the things that generally flows from that is you don't say things that the people who compromised you would find unhelpful. So uh, there is a leadership void. And I think with your wonderful economic war room program and our Securing America and others of those here, uh, you know, we're trying to fill that void. But it is seductive 
when, and it's one of the great strengths of democracies, of course, is that people in democracies generally don't want to go to war. Right. But it's very seductive in the absence of leadership telling you we're at war, whether we want to be there or not, to just assume that all's well, and if we just keep buying their stuff, they will, well, they'll get richer, yes, but they'll become more like us, and it that will be a peace in our time. the argument a dozen years ago, they Absolutely. said it over and over, there are bankers, we're their best customers, they never want to see harm. About six years ago, the, there were some in the Republican Party who stood up and said, wait a minute, they're at war with us, and it was a partisan issue. But we were talking earlier, this has now become a nonpartisan issue, and that is, back to that phrase, honest politician. I think there are some honest Democrats that want to hear the truth. Can you tell us about what you've experienced in that regard? Well, we've taken this book, the CCP at War with America, and in the belief that the message, not least you know, the section that you particularly contributed to in terms of this unrestricted warfare that preceded the biological weapons attack that we believe COVID-19 represents. And we've decided that what we want to try to do is make sure this doesn't just go on another dusty bookshelf unread, of which there are altogether too many such reports, by seeing if we could take uh, what we call the brief of the main points of this document and make them available to elective candidates for office in this fall's elections and see if we can't get it in front of them. And to your point, Kevin, right out of the gate, we were blessed by having a woman who I first met at the Western Conservative Summit by the name of Heidi Canal who is now the Republican nominee for governor of Colorado to take the brief. And very shortly thereafter, um, providentially, presumably, um, her Democratic opponent got in touch and asked to have a brief about China as well. So the incumbent governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, the Democratic nominee for re-election, of course, um, and his Republican opponent both got it, and we hope that will be a model, a template for what we do across the country, because this is not a partisan issue. The Chinese want to kill all Should of not us. Be. They Absolutely. are not deciding it on the basis of party affiliation. Absolutely. Well, Frank, I appreciate what you're doing there, because th that's the only way we're going to save America, is if we make these real issues, real threats, whether it's economic threat or it's a national security threat, if we make them bipartisan, good for American issues. And you're doing that, and by taking the brief, what are your plans to take it beyond Colorado? Well, we've put up at our website for the book, and by the way, you can get the book for free as a downloadable PDF at ccpatwar.com. But also at that site, you can register to learn more about the brief, and especially if you can help us connect with someone who wants your vote at the moment, to get them the brief as well. And we will undertake to do that as quickly as possible because the next three months, Kevin, as you know, these politicians are very interested in what you want them to do and what you're thinking is important. Uh, maybe not so much after November, but for the next three months, We've got their attention. We need to get them this information and we would welcome your help, ccpatwar.com. 
in getting their attention. Well, we're going to have to take a break, but we're going to put how to do that in our economic battle plan for this episode. Now is the time, right before the election, politicians listen. So let's take advantage of that. We'll be right back after a break. We brought the Economic War Room to CPAC 2022 here in Dallas, Texas at the Anatole. And who do I get to see? One of the speakers, one of the great friends, one of the world's preeminent China experts, Gordon Chang. And I'm dying to ask him questions about Nancy Pelosi's recent trip to Taiwan and the state of affairs between China and the Communist Party and the United States. So welcome back to the Economic War Room, Gordon. Thank you so much, Kevin. So Nancy Pelosi, our Speaker of the House, was just in Taiwan. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, first of all, because it became such a test of wills, she had to go. Because if she didn't go, she would have emboldened and legitimized the worst elements in the Chinese political system by showing everybody else in Beijing that threats work. But this didn't have to be such a test of wills. And I think that President Biden made things a lot worse. If you remember on July 20, he said to reporters, the Pentagon thinks it's not a good idea for her to go. Well, that was basically saying to the Chinese, why don't you try to intimidate us? Yeah. Uh, why did they publicize that? Yeah, why would they publicize that? I mean, he's the president of the United States. He makes the decision. If you listen to the Chinese propaganda before that, yes, it was dire sounding. After that, it became even more grim and it became more frequent, which is a real indication that the Chinese took that as a signal that that was open season on the, on the White House. And so at that point, it became a much bigger crisis than it had to be. Why would the Biden administration do that? Are they incompetent? Are they compromised? I mean, it, it just floors me to try and understand exactly why they do the things they do, because they seem to always work out so poorly. Yeah, this was really bad diplomacy. This was like making mistakes that you learn in International Relations 101. Um, I don't know why, um, you know, I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah, a lot of Americans are wondering because the speaker and the president of the same party, they certainly communicate all the time on legislative matters. And yet here there was a dark, was it a staged contrast? Was it purposeful? I don't think it was staged. Um, you know, one thing though, I think, and then this is important for us, and eventually we'll learn this, Kevin, but the question is who leaked this to the Financial Times, who first reported that she was planning to go to Taiwan? Most people expect, think it was somebody in the administration who didn't want her to go. Matter of fact, his speaker's office had no incentive to do that. Um, and I think the Chinese themselves, they didn't want to make it as big a crisis as they, as, as possibility. So really the persons, the people who had the biggest incentive to do this was the Biden team. And so that's where most people think the blame lies. Well, let's look at the bigger picture on that because Taiwan is the real issue. It's not whether an American citizen goes to visit another country. The real issue is Taiwan, how America should respond, what the Chinese are planning. What is your perspective on Taiwan uh, today? Taiwan is just one of the problems. You know, at this moment, we have Chinese troops deep into Indian-controlled territory in Ladakh and the Himalayas. The Chinese are trying to take away Second Thomas Shoal from the Philippines and the South China Sea. 
Last Friday, there were four Chinese warships loitering in Japanese-controlled sovereign waters along the Senkakus in the East China Sea. And of course, for the last couple of months, there have been this intensified air campaign that China's been launching uh, these dangerous intercepts. So, you know, China's sort of looking for a crisis, um, and it's not just Taiwan. Um, and that's the real danger. We have China taking on everybody at the same time, makes no sense. In a, and so really, when a regime does things that doesn't make sense, we got to really watch out because things are going off the rails. Yeah, so it raises several questions. One of them, is the Chinese economy finally imploding, at least in an obvious way? The second one is, um, are they planning a war because they're seeing an economy imploding? Or are they, are they attempting uh, certainly, they've been in a people's war with us, right. but a shooting, fighting war. Are they planning that? Well, the economy in China is in distress. It is contracting, despite saying it grew 0.4% in the second quarter, year on year. Um, they got the debt crisis. I mean, the big property companies are defaulting, Ever almost ran, all of them. Missed a the, then you have the mortgage boycott, people not paying their mortgages. Um, suppliers to the big property companies, they're not paying their loans, You've got the bank runs. It's, I don't think Beijing has a solution to any of this, at least in the long term. They can maybe defer, but the problem is there's just too much debt right now. So Beijing needs a crisis in a sense. You know, people say, um, you hear a lot of smart people in Washington say this, that, oh, you know, the Communist Party's number one foreign policy goal is to take over Taiwan. That's not right. The number one foreign policy goal of the Communist Party is the maintenance of Communist Party to rule. Survive. And yep. when they have problems at home for which they have no answers, they can't talk to the Chinese people about this, then what's better than a foreign crisis? So, you know, it's, it's, it's really Pelosi or no Pelosi, there's going to be a crisis of some sort. The only question is timing. Maybe the Chinese wanted to defer the crisis a little bit is my guess, but that's only a guess. What do you make of the idea that people, they run on the banks, people show up to the banks and they either see tanks or they pull out their phone and they see a, a, a code red, a red on code. there. Yeah, uh, health code. Yeah, this, this is health code. Um, you know, this health code, when it goes red, you've got to go report to a quarantine center, you can't travel. And that's what they did about uh, three, four weeks ago uh, when people were wanting their money out of banks in central China. But what was interesting, Kevin, was that the Chinese people got so upset that the regime turned the code red that now I don't think that they're going to try and do that again um, unless they're really an extremist. It shows you the Chinese people now are getting really upset at their government, and the Communist Party knows that. Um, so you've got a lot of people right now who are willing to defy um, the government by going out on these big protests. Um, you got people who are just saying, I've had it with this. So it's a very different Chinese populace right now. Well, the Chinese government proved successful in tamping down the Hong Kong protests. And you lived in Hong Kong. Right. And they just successfully absorbed probably the freest uh, economy of the world in, in a couple of decades' time. Last time I visited was 1999. But in a couple of decades' time, they just absorbed the freest place on earth and put it under complete Communist Party rule. What will they do at home? Can they do that? They can do it. They can intimidate people. You know, they, they've got, they run a semi-totalitarian state. 
But no regime can to intimidate all the people. When people either become desperate or they have hope that things will change, then regimes melt away. This is what happened to the Soviet Union. This is what's happened to so many hardline leaders. I'm not, you know, I've thought it would happen by now, um, but it will occur because we're seeing all the elements in pace. All they really need is a spark, I think, at this particular time. And the Communist Party knows that, which is the reason why I think it is acting up. It wants a crisis. It probably doesn't want war right now, but it really wants to string this out. And we got to really worry next year or whatever when some of the inhibitions to war uh, go away. Now, I believe you. I, I absolutely think you've got your handle on the pulse there, and you're right. But what is our government doing? If, if you knew that to be true, what kind of action should the American government take to end this great enemy of the United States, the Communist Party, not the Chinese people, and to bring liberty to other parts of the world, particularly China? Well, there are a lot of things that the, you know, the Biden administration can do. So, for instance, they can stop American investment into Chinese equity markets. Remember, with the Chinese economy right now, there's only two things holding it up, hold, keeping it from completely failing at this moment. One is robust export sales. The other is Wall Street investment into the Chinese equity markets. Well, Biden, with his executive pen, which we know he likes to use, he could stop the second, the, the investment. Also, he could do a lot to inhibit the, um, our purchases of Chinese goods. So there's a lot that we can do to put an end to Communist Party rule. We're not doing it because for a lot of reasons, I'm not in Biden's head, but the point is there's a lot of things he can do, a lot of things he should do, a lot of things he must do, but he's not doing them. He's not doing any of them. All right, last question. Uh, if Donald Trump were president for a second term, not coming up, but if he had been elected president instead of Joe Biden, would our China policy be different and what would the impact be? It would be a lot different because the Chinese would have never taken, well, first of all, Biden failed to deter Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. That's important because that's emboldened uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler. Um, so if Trump were president, Putin probably wouldn't have invaded. And if Putin isn't invaded, not, not invaded, the Chinese right now would be still scared of the United States. We had four years, whatever you might think of Donald Trump, we had four years of peace. Four years of peace in the Middle East, four years of peace in Eastern Europe, four years of peace in Asia. And now all of that is just turmoil. So that's the answer. If Trump had his consecutive second term, we wouldn't be having anything like this conversation at this moment, because this is perhaps one of the most dangerous moments in history. It really truly is. I think of parallels to the late 1930s where we were appeasing Adolf Hitler and, and other throughout history where we've made mistakes. It does seem like the Biden administration is either incompetent or fully compromised. And I, I don't know which it is. It, it doesn't really matter. It is failing. Whatever the reason is, whatever's going on in Biden's head, it is failing to protect the United States. It's failing to protect world order. I agree with you. Well, thank you, Gordon, for stopping in the Economic Forum. God bless oh, you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Kevin. When you come to CPAC, you meet the best and the brightest. One of my favorites. He's an economist. I love him for that. He's got a PhD in economics. Admire him. He's brilliant. He's also brilliant in understanding God and theology. Love him for that as well. I loved him as a congressman. I loved him because he beat the incumbent and showed that the Tea Party had real teeth and real power. 
and now he's at Liberty University, and I love him for that. He's a dear friend. He's Dr. Dean David Bratt at Liberty Business School. David, it's great to have you here. Wow, that was an introduction. I love Kevin. I love him back. He's commanded to love me, so you know he's going to love me anyway. But uh, those comments are very warm from a dear friend as well. And so thank you for having me on the show. Well, you're a smart guy. We'll, t we'll be talking economics, and then we'll jump, and we'll be talking Greek philosophers, and then <laughs> right, we'll jump, right. and we'll be talking good. Bible. Yes. I love all of it, and you're right good. on all these issues. Oh, that's good. Fra good. Frank you are, you are too. I just had Frank Gaffney. I said, you're right on almost every issue. And he said, I want to know what I'm not right on. Yeah. I said, if I knew that, I would tell you. Right, no, you would. Because right. I, I think I'm right on most issues, yep. but I don't know what I'm not right on. Right. That's right. Nobody knows what they're wrong on. No. Yeah, that's, that's wise, man. So how's CPAC? Are you enjoying it? Well, I love it. I get to catch up with friends like you, and this time down in Dallas. And I met a bunch of our co-buddies uh, yesterday uh, from down in Dallas and uh, making friends for uh, Liberty. And, uh, you know, Dallas just culturally is just great. Did you get to visit fit. the Liberty Hawk Ranch? Did Mike yes, take you there? Yes, yes. I saw the whole, I saw the, the big rooms, the small rooms, everybody. Uh, if you ever get a chance to get out to Liberty Hawk and all the financial advisors, uh, uh, make sure you get on our program with Kevin and, and Liberty University training in uh, financial advisors on investing your values. Uh, we have a big CEO summit coming up. Uh, Kevin's going to be there and uh, the, a bunch of like-minded people are going to be in the room uh, doing the right things and uh, aiming this country in the right direction again. It's amazing how the people in business, the liberty-minded people in business are yeah. coming together yeah. and saying, I want to do business. And a lot of that happens at your school, Liberty yeah. University. I mean, you're a yep. thought leader and you're bringing, you have solutions for Africa. You have solutions for energy. You have solutions for CEO. I just love what you're doing. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a start. Right, but like what you you were you've been doing this for decades, and it's a start. But now your work is all bearing fruit. It's growing exponentially now, and now everybody's seeing it. And uh, I think uh, China's shooting missiles this morning, and things are uh, getting to the point that the, uh, the the middle class is waking up. We've got inflation. We've got debt up to our eyeballs. A failure in Afghanistan. We, we, we've, we're, we're on the verge, a cusp of losing Taiwan potentially. But it's not just Taiwan. Uh, it's all of the other things China is doing beyond that. They're acting as if they're at war with us, probably because their economy's failing. Yeah. And you and America is still investing in a lot of firms that are doing uh, business not just with China, uh, but with uh, China's arms dealers who are making weapon systems for China that are aimed at us. I mean, it has gotten so perverse, and uh, I kind of like the golden rule, right? We're, we share the same Judeo-Christian moral backdrop, and the reciprocity, right? We hoped, you know, we set up the whole Bretton Woods liberal order after the war, and uh, we fed two and a half billion people. The Chinese and the Indians are now, you know, moderately, uh, moderate incomes instead of total poverty. So we did a great thing for the world, and now we're getting, are we getting thank you? We're not, we're not getting any thank yous from the CCP. No. Uh, instead, they're taking our good and turning it into evil, right? They just want one system, and they want total power. After we've set up this miraculous uh, run, and then we, we were gullible and too, too innocent, and uh, you're, you're drawing attention. It, the, the way to solve this is by redirecting our pension funds, our assets, our investments. Financial planners are key to this. And uh, the problem is the average American doesn't know where your money is invested. Once you find out, you will be horrified. And so 
Uh, look up, you know, Kevin, I hope you're all watching Economic War Room, but uh, he, he's just gone through it all with all the experts you want to hear from. You know, we get emails every single day from people who say, hey, I watched your program, I tried to talk to my financial advisor, yeah. and they don't get it and they yeah. don't want to help me. Now, yeah. we're getting a few breakthroughs, yeah. uh, big firms actually, yeah. advisors, yeah. but the point is this, if you've got money and it's invested, and it's not according to your values, yeah. it's being woke Wall Street, like this ESG garbage, or if it's going to support the Chinese Communist Party, that's your money, it's not your advisor's money, it's not their firm's money. You advisors, are you not smart enough to see that the American people have a lot of money, there's this massive market that you are not tapping into, you want more and better loyal customers, then find ways to invest to support their values. And if it weren't yeah. for <clears throat> Liberty and your reach, your online capabilities at Liberty that you helped open up, yep. allow us to train thousands of advisors at once. Yep. And then they get trained and they've got this big market looking for them. Right, right. And, uh, you know, we, we work with Kingdom Advisors, uh, you know, Christian Financial Advisors. Uh, I could drop a few names and then we've got, uh, we, I got a bunch of friends who focus in on ESG and uh, what all that means. But I just want to get back to the basic value proposition again, too. Some people say, well, <clears throat> I don't want to get political uh, because it might affect my bottom line or my revenue. Uh, well, if you're in the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, that's not a sensible uh, sentence, right? If you believe God's at work in this world and you've got an enemy who is harming 1.4 billion people made in God's image and you don't know that there's a problem there with your Judeo-Christian business ethic, uh, you got a problem, right? And so the financial advisors, uh, you're a fiduciary uh, for the monetary outcome, uh, but if you're also a Christian advisor, I mean, you're a fiduciary for the moral outcome and a totalitarian surveillance state. I can just tell you, I hope I don't have to say this to folks, uh, but we have a crisis of faith going on if our CEOs and our smart people uh, don't have that wherewithal right now. Uh, and so, uh, some of these things, uh, people say, well, you're, it's political. Well, uh, God's political, right? Uh, the most famous book in the uh, Hebrew text is called the Exodus. It's a political event, right? And so that's uh, God, the Trinity at work back in the Exodus. And uh, God's still at work. And if you look at our founders, right? Uh, no one disputes God's been completely active in, in this country. And you say, was God active in our revolutionary war and through our founders and the constitution? And everyone says, yes. And he said, well, can God be active in our politics now? And you say, no. I mean, it, we, uh, we have brain freeze right now in, in, for some reason. And uh, Kevin's doing us a great service uh, by putting it all together and showing, uh, no, the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, love your neighbor as yourself uh, is, is broadly construed. And it, it, it takes the intellect to think through how we love our brothers and sisters across the world, including Africa. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well. I am so appreciative of all the good work you're doing at Liberty, uh, you know, and helping us launch the NSIC Institute. Yep. Thank you so much for that. No, thank you for doing it. I mean, we're, we're honored to do it because it's the morally right thing to do. And uh, you've been a great Christian friend and brother. And uh, we, we're, we believe in win-win. That's the good thing about markets and capitalists. The win-win actually does work, right? And if you, we got a CEO summit, if you know CEOs, uh, October 5, 6, and 7. Uh, but and I, how do they learn more about that, CEOs? Uh, just email me, people watching this show, just uh, dabrat at liberty.edu. 
And uh, if you know CEOs or C-suite leaders, national figures, uh, we bring them together because they can change the world, right? They, they're the decision makers and uh, they get together at liberty with this uh, unified uh, ethical shared values and uh, everybody just loves the tone and uh, there's no arrogance and there's no puffed up chest and everybody knows we're working to try to build the kingdom together. And so uh, that's why, it, it, and, and we offer liberty up. We don't do it to make money. We, we probably pay money for it, right? But uh, it's the right thing to do, so we're doing it. And uh, we bring in heads of state from Africa. We're trying to drive business to Africa, capital and business. And so if you know friends that uh, do heavy construction, agriculture, water, uh, that kind of thing, uh, fi bank finance in Africa, le let me know. I don't know of any other university that does what Liberty Business School does. It's, it's unique. And it's because it's got Dave Brad as unique uh, dean. And I'll tell you, he mentioned something about fiduciary capabilities. Look, if you're a fiduciary and you invest in, imagine investing in Nazi Germany in 1938-39. You didn't get a very good return for your clients. Investing in China today might be the riskiest investment yep. on the planet. So what we cover here in the Economic War Room and what uh, Dean Bratt and I have been talking about is getting your investments to align with your values. If you don't have a financial advisor helping you with that, we want to help you find one. Or we want to help your existing financial advisor learn how to do it. You can learn more at nsic.org. That's nationalsecurityinvestmentconsultant.org. And if you want a recap of our visit with Frank Gaffney and Gordon Chang and Dave Brett, you can get it all in a free economic battle plan. Get that at economicwarroom.com. Coming to you from CPAC, this is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.